We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. And this game is over. Memphis stops a three-game slide. In the meantime, the Bulls, in their efforts to win four in a row for the first time this season, Goes for naught, and the Grizzlies beat the Bulls here in Memphis 104-89. Who, who's going to beat this team? It's funny how 24 hours changes the conversations. That was uh, the end of the Spurs game. Oh, who's going to beat this team? We love Stacy on this show. And then the next day, they get the Grizzlies. Grizzlies get interested and blow them out in the fourth quarter where they've only lost five games at home. They're the second seed in the Western Conference, and the Bulls are on the uh, outside looking in at the top six in the Eastern Conference. They'd be the nine seed if it ended today. So joining us now to talk Bulls and trade deadline, which is 22 hours from now, does a terrific job covering the Bulls for the athletic. Friend of the show, Darnell Mayberry, with us on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. What's up, Darnell? How much? How you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Um, are they really going to buy at the deadline tomorrow? I think they should buy or sell. I think they should do one of the two. <laughs> I don't think they should stand pat. Um, I can't tell you that they're going to buy, but uh, if they don't, then they should sell. <sighs> What's the argument for them to buy? Well, you got an all-star in DeMar DeRozan. And you've got um, uh, a star in Zach Levine. It's debatable how much you want to say, whether he's a star, superstar, whatever. But uh, he can get you 25 points on any given night, and that's valuable in this league. So you can uh, build around him. And you you would anticipate Lonzo Ball will come back next year uh, at some point. And if you re-sign Nikola Vucevic, you have a core that uh, for the first half of last season showed promise. And – it's been a long time since this roster has showed that level of promise, and that's the, the counter-argument. Yeah, it, it is. Um, so you expect them to re-sign Vooch? I don't. Um, I don't see why Vooch would want to re-sign as the third wheel here behind DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, and I don't know that the Bulls would be all that interested uh, in having a center who can't really – um, switch and, and, and bring the defensive versatility that is so valuable in today's game. Even though he does so many things that the Bulls love uh, with his offense and, and facilitating and, sh- and shooting, but the defensive component, I mean, we've talked about it uh, for, for the last two seasons. is just such a, um, uh, a glaring deficiency for this team when you don't have a, a more athletic, 
um, center back there protecting everything. See, and so I'm I'm with you, and I know uh, our buddy and the guy in your beat, Casey Johnson, is saying that you know they do think they've got a good shot at at re-signing Vooch. I just don't get the argument. Like I don't think these pieces fit together, so I can't imagine why you'd want to re-sign him when he's just you know that much older. But let's say that you and I are are right, and Vooch doesn't want to re-sign, or they don't want to re-sign Vooch. Then don't you have to trade him by tomorrow instead of losing an asset for nothing? Absolutely, and and I've written that at the Athletic. I just don't see the benefit or value of trying to secure the sixth seed. I mean, we've seen that, and it's not going to end well, especially if Lonzo Ball um, doesn't come back this season. So I don't understand if Arturis Karnaschovas doesn't make a move, uh, I will question why he didn't. And then we're going to have to turn our eyes to uh, this summer, and if they don't re-sign Nikola Vucevic, then even more questions are going to go off. Yeah, that that will be just incongruous, right? Like, if they don't trade him tomorrow, I will – expect them to be very aggressive in trying to re-sign him and maybe and they obviously should have some intel on whether or not they think that they can re-sign him but Darnell uh I keep hearing this argument about the first you know 40 something games of last season and what you're saying it undeniably true that is where they were in the standings but it's the first half of a basketball season, not the second half or the playoffs. Like they were seemingly were trying harder, uh, frankly, than a lot of teams were doing early in the season because they were trying to prove uh, that it would work together. And Vooch will now be two years older, right? He'll be thirty-three. He's thirty-two now. Demar's thirty-three. He'd be thirty-four. Lonzo is a huge if. Like I don't know why the first forty games of last year should carry a ton of weight when I'm talking about Bulls fans' expectations for this core working next year when they're just older and maybe still hurt. Hey, you asked me for the argument, Danny. I didn't say I agreed with it. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. And in fact, I told you, the counter-argument is the fact that it was so long ago, and I don't think you can rest on anything that wasn't all that successful. Like you said, it was the first half of the season. You don't know if Nikola Vucevic is going to resign. You don't know if Lonzo Ball is ever going to be the same impact player that he was uh, before this this knee trouble. So, uh, and you don't know that you're going to get another season like the the last two now, or one, more than one and a half that you've gotten from Demar Derozan. So, uh, and also by the way, Zach Levine still has uh, knee trouble that is an on again, off again issue. So, um, you know, nothing is ever going to be like it was last season, I don't think. And, and that, that'd that be foolish to assume that it would be, um, you know, but, but you have to look at it and say if the front office decides to commit to it, then this is the continuity that they're, they continue to preach. And, you know, I don't agree with it, but, you know, it's not my job to, to, to fix this roster. No, no, not, not, not at all. And I did ask you for the argument. You're 100% right. We're talking to Bulls beat reporter uh, for The Athletic. Darnell Mayberry, but like you said, in your opinion, it would be foolish. I don't know a lot about Arturis Karnishevis because he's very guarded and private, but by all accounts, he is not a foolish man. So I guess part of me is thinking and hoping that logic prevails and they sell before tomorrow because I, I assume him to be a smart individual. It'll be hard in the case of DeMar DeRozan. I mean, he just was named to what is sixth all-star team, that's not something that a team just 
up in trades right before the all-star break and, and says, you know, we don't, we don't want this all-star to represent our franchise in our city. So uh, even though this might be the highest trade value that he has had since he's been with the Bulls, I just think from that standpoint alone, I think the organization will want to have a presence at the all-star weekend. And DeMar DeRozan has been a fantastic representative. Uh, the Vucevic thing, I am totally with you. I've written it. It, it. it just makes too much sense to try to get an asset and prolong the life of, of the asset that is Vucevic's contract as opposed to letting it expire. And then I don't expect anything with Zach Levine. I mean, the, the first year of his maximum contract will be hard to come off of. Uh, and I do think that they still think they can build around him. I'd be shocked if they put him in, in any packages tomorrow. Yeah, I would, I would as well. I think you'd be selling low on Zach, which is why, you know, I, I'm not saying he's untradeable, but I would be very surprised if this is – uh, the height of his trade value under this contract, and I still think that he could be a useful piece. Though so that is becoming, frankly, Darnell, I feel like I'm on an island uh, with with that. Maybe maybe you're taking up residency on that island, but I feel like the consensus among Bulls fans and many Bulls observers is Zach Levine, losing player, will never be a key piece on a good team. Do you disagree? It's up for him to show it now. I mean, this this roster is the best roster he's had in his career. Um, we can point to injuries that he's had, that he, that Patrick Williams had, that Alex Caruso had last season, Lonzo Ball, on and on and on. But at some point you have to say, when are you going to deliver? And as a max contract player, it is now put up or shut up time. And, and this is another topic that I touched on when he signed the contract. No more excuses are allowed. When you put your name on that dotted line for that amount of money and you assume the, the right, the position of being the franchise player, the face of the franchise, uh, then you have to uh, lead to results. And so far it just hasn't been that. And you have to look at him, the coaches, the, the organization and the front office, but as the fr- face of the franchise, as one of the franchise players, no doubt it falls on him as well. Darnell Mayberry, Bulls writer for The Athletic is our guest. So those are the big three. Those would be the things that would be, you know, showstopper, you know, headline type things. What about pieces, you know, four through 12 most likely to be traded would be who? I'd be surprised if Patrick Williams was put in any packages. I still think, uh, you know, they're high on him and he's actually playing some of the best ball of his career, if not the best ball. So I'd be surprised there. Ayo Desumu's name has been floated through some reason I don't know why I don't think that he would be put in a package and then the one that that really surprises me that that people seem to be considering is Alex Caruso uh, and I've said before Danny if you're trying to win with him he's a guy who who can help you win uh, and if you're trying to trade assets to get something to help you win in the future Alex Caruso is the type of asset who can help you win in the future he's only 29 years old uh, he has a lot of miles uh, left so I think He's a keeper. I don't understand why they would want to trade uh, him, so I don't anticipate that. The guys like Kobe White, Andre Drummond, Tony Bradley, you know, even Dalen Terry is you know, the first-round pick for this year. I, I wouldn't say any of those guys are off-limits, but what you can get from them is then the question. Yeah, right, exactly. The, the lower assets that you trade, the less that you get back, and everything that comes with that. You mentioned Patrick Williams. I would love a phantom injury, frankly, to a wing on the Bulls like you know maybe not Levine because everyone's terrified that he's always going to be hurt but like let DeMar DeRozan have his all-star game and all of that stuff man I I want to see 15 shots a game 
from Patrick Williams. And let's use the last 25-plus games to actually see what this dude can do as a central role in the offense. I don't love that it seems like every other night he's got seven field goal attempts. Yeah, and, you know, the funny thing is we've we've actually seen it in, in spurts. I mean, we saw it in Summer League a few years back. We saw it in that Timberwolves game, I think it was, uh, one of the, in the last, last game of the, of the year season, last yeah. year yeah so like we've seen it in in spurts but you know we need to see it consistently regardless of who's on the floor if he is who you think he is then he's got to do it you know when demar's out there when when zach levine's out there when vucevic is out there i mean that's that's what where i am at this point with patrick williams you know and, and i think that that is totally fair the only counter though that i do think has a lot of merit is and some guys need point guards like they, they they need players to get them the ball in their spots. And, you know, DeMar is an ISO player. Vooch likes to have the ball in his hands in the high post. Zach can be a good catch-and-shoot guy, but obviously is a volume scorer. Like, I, I get why a guy, a young guy like Patrick Williams, with all of those other dudes who need the ball in their hand, who are veterans, who have all-star pelts on the wall might need a point guard in order to be effective when he's 21 years old? Well, well, two things. One, I'd, I'd say it's more system than, than point guard. In, in the other words, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are kind of breaking off the offense and, and going in ISO mode at times because it's effective for them, um, and you know, rightfully so at times. Uh, so I think that, more than anything, is, is kind of limiting Patrick Williams' opportunities um, but the other thing is, you know, just I, I, again, I say that he has to be able to demonstrate this regardless. And the reason why we're looking at him as, you know, as the, the type of person, the player we're looking at him as, the former fourth overall pick and a potential star, is because he can do some of everything. Maybe not great at every or anything, but, but really good at everything. I mean, remember the, the point guard skills that we talked, that we heard about coming in, in, into the NBA that he had from high school and being able to orchestrate and, and, and play make for his teammates. And now he's getting the mid range, uh, really down. So he can do so many different things to where he shouldn't need that point guard to be able to facilitate and get his. So, uh, maybe I still have too high of expectations for Patrick Williams, but I do believe that he has a promising future and, and he's got to show that and that's on him. Yeah. And that, and listen, player accountability is, is great. And I'm with you and I've got some, you know, I got some Lowry fear, right? I, I, I don't want to give up on Patrick Williams too early because let's say that they traded him for a draft pick, and I know that they wouldn't get the fourth overall pick for him, but just hypothetically, they very likely would draft a, a young, athletically gifted, raw wing who projects as a two-way impact player who can hit the three and lock down someone else, right? Like he, His profile of what he can be if he approaches his ceiling is exactly the type of player that wins championships. Not saying that he is a superstar necessarily, but like his type. So I don't think you can give up on that type and that profile until you fully see it through. And, and I think to the Bulls' credit, they are slowly, and I key word, slowly, putting together some of those pieces. We have no idea what they'll turn into, but Patrick Williams, Dalen Terry is the second one. Uh, and so you have to look at it and say, if they get another one somehow in free agency or maybe between today and tomorrow's trade deadline, uh, that they can start to assemble some of those long athletic wing players that, 
the NBA is 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 so um, uh, driven by at this point. So uh, I give the Bulls credit for that. They're they're trying, they're searching, uh, but but it's got to be faster. I think that's what everyone wants to see: some results in, in a faster manner. Darnell Mayberry does great work covering the Bulls for the Athletic, and uh, you also recently launched a a private project because it's very personal, but it's obviously also public because it's the logo and background on your Twitter account and you're tweeting about it and it's out there for anyone to read. I, I find it to be very uh, ambitious and aspirational and inspirational, frankly, Darnell. Can you tell people about Money Talks? Sure. I appreciate you asking. It's, um, it's an independent project that I launched, independent of The Athletic, um, it's, it's, it is personal. It's about me and my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, and just our, uh, daring pursuit of, of financial freedom. I mean, you know, so many of us as Americans live paycheck to paycheck and, you know, they weren't, we weren't taught this, this stuff, basic financial literacy in schools. Uh, and I've just found the older that I've uh, gotten, the, the more I've learned that, uh, the more I don't know, you know, I've learned that it's, it's so much that I don't know. And I want to teach my daughter those things. And by teaching her, I feel like I can, you know, teach myself and, and learn with her as I teach her and learn with others maybe. And so that's what I launched it for to just try to uh, make an impact on her first and then to try to build with others and learn together. It's a, it's an awesome, ambitious thing. Like I said, man, and it's very cool that you're not just doing it, but you're, uh, I know in your intro piece, you said you were sharing it publicly because sometimes she isn't necessarily interested, but also to hold yourself accountable. Um, <laughs> She's nine, right? Nine? Correct. Yep, she just turned nine in December. I, so I've got a, a three-year-old and a nine-month-old, so we're, we're not there yet. But um, how does it go? Can you, can you give us some, some color on, you know, or anecdotally on, hey, honey, it's time to sit down and talk about financial literacy when you're nine? <laughs> yeah, she, she's a lot more excited now that we uh, launched the podcast, Money Talks Podcast. Um, and she, she was the first guest slash co-host. So, uh, you know, she, she describes herself as the superstar of the podcast and, uh, she's a lot more interested now with the social media component. But, you know, one thing I try to do with her is to make it really relatable. So a lot of kids at that age are in a Roblox and instead of going out and putting $10 into Roblox, we'll try to invest in Roblox into the stock market and then become owners of Roblox as, as a shareholder of the company. So, uh, you know, Hershey is another one that I, I have in the portfolio, and I like to show her when we're in the grocery store. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up. A lot of candy is on the aisles. I say it's pretty cool when we can go down the aisle and say, hey, we, we own a share of, couple of shares of that company, Hershey. And so she gets it from that standpoint, and then she loves being able to relate to it, uh, you know, in everyday products and things that we use. It's very cool, man. So keep at it. Good stuff. And uh, you're an essential follow uh, for Bulls information and analysis. So thanks for always making time for the show, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. Have a great day. Yeah, you as well. That's Darnell Mayberry. Covers the Bulls for The Athletic. And uh, you can just follow him on Twitter to get all the information you need about uh, his project, the Substack of Money Talks. It's uh, You just don't often see someone be... And maybe, now that I think about it a little bit more because I've read every piece that he's posted, so I've thought about it some. It's almost like you don't necessarily get that personal from a beat writer. Maybe that's what is surprising to me about the project. Like Columnists sometimes are personal, and radio hosts, we often have to be personal in the most personal medium. 
but like to to see a guy that I read everything he writes about the Bulls, then also be that personal uh, about financial literacy and his daughter and everything like that, and the the goals of financial independence and generational wealth. It was like, oh damn, that is a uh, a layer that I w- was not expecting, but it was certainly welcoming, and it's it's a really really cool thing that uh, I think people should check out. The uh, the place of being an organizational hell is what I'm very worried about feeling like the Bulls are going to be in about 22 hours from now, more so, frankly, than they already are. I'll explain next on The Score. I know I really, really like our guys a lot in terms of working with them. And just, I think I mentioned before the game, where the heart and the spirit's at. And I think our tourist likes this group better as much as much as I do. I think he likes them too. We want to continually see these guys get better. I would say this, you and your wife go buy a house. This is our dream house. We're never doing any. This is our, and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, this is what they're going to give us. You know, we need to find, you know, so like this, sometimes I don't know the backside. So when you say that if some team came with something and we like our guys, that's just like, geez, we just, you know, this, this, this is too good. I don't know if those conversations happen, but I think our tourists is going to look, that's what I'm saying. It's not just about the player. It's about the totality of the organization and what's best for the organization would be what I would believe his focus would be on. Billy Donovan on his uh, boss, Arturis Karnishvis, ahead of tomorrow's trade deadline. I expect them to do very little, if anything. I can't believe they're not going to trade Vooch. That seems like such an obvious move to me. Casey Johnson says they think they can re-sign him, so they're going to keep him and they're going to praise continuity. The guy is uh, as sourced as anybody on the Bulls, so I will defer to his reporting, but I think the obvious move on the chessboard is trading Vooch. And uh, it bums me out, but it leaves the Bulls in NBA hell. And I was thinking about it. Um, like The 2015 Cubs experience was a very exciting time. It was like, oh my God, they're good. And it felt like the start of something. And then they overachieved. Um, and then that is what, you know... Th- Three years ago, two years ago, felt like for the White Sox. Like, disappointing playoff exit in that series of the A's. But what an amazing core. They're going to bring in a new manager. Everyone is signed. Everyone is young. The window is open. They're going to be great for five years. And then we know what happened. The Bulls gave us like 40 games. They gave us such a short period of time of real optimism, and now they feel like they've plateaued and are trending down, that it's really likely that the best it ever gets for this core, if you want to call it that, was the first half of an NBA season. Like, that's nothing. That Cubs team won 97 games. The White Sox team made the playoffs. It was a 90-win team. Like this, if, if the best it ever got for the Bulls was best team in the league, first half of the season, and a first-round playoff exit, that is not even – that's not a core. That's nothing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it is a completely meaningless period of time for a franchise. And it's, I was thinking about the different fan bases in, like, in this town – Cubs fans are feeling good generally, but kind of pissed because it's been a while 
since they've really actually had a chance to be competitive. But when you give out $300 million you know, plus of guaranteed contracts in an offseason, you're trending in the right direction, but they don't have the stars to really be excited about. But it's trending in the right direction. It's just going way slower than you would like. And there's a couple of... I think, I think there's like some cynicism of, man, these other teams are spending like we would like us to be spending, so I am, I'm, I'm guarded. I don't want to get hurt again. But generally speaking, Cubs trending in the right direction. White Sox trending in the wrong direction. Bulls obviously trending in the wrong direction. It's a weird time where there's the most optimistic, I think, fan base right now is the Bears. That's a wild spot to be in because the Bears are clearly not better than the White Sox. They don't have more talent than the White Sox. I still think the White Sox have the most talent of any of the teams in the city, but it's a naturally skeptical and cynical and prove-it-to-me fan base and trending down just based off of Tony and the direction of the win-loss record and being a 500 team after back-to-back 90-win seasons and playoff appearances and that whole thing. So, objectively, trending now. Now, could be, could bounce back, could make last year an outlier, and the guys are still relatively young and signed in all of that. Uh, but with the number one pick and the free agent space and the optimism around Justin Fields, it's a, it's a wild time, and it shows how fickle this all is, that my read on it is, optimism for the future like if that's how you're judging it I think you'd say the Bears I wouldn't pick them to be the next team to win a championship the next Chicago team to win a championship I definitely would not because it's just so damn hard and the other sports there's a little bit more random like not not basketball but there's just more randomness in baseball so I'd next Chicago team to win a championship I think I'd take the the Cubs or the White Sox like one two two one just because of the randomness of the baseball postseason. There's no juggernaut team in the AL or NL Central, so you should have a pretty easy path to the postseason. Uh, White Sox spending right now have a ton of talent. Cubs, we know, have shown a willingness to spend, are a very smart organization on the whole. So I don't think the Bears are like the safest bet to be the next Chicago team to win the championship. I just know that the Bulls are of the, those four. I know they're last. The Bulls are... Because they've got no path to a superstar right now. They're not bad enough to hope to get Wembenyama. They're not good enough to win anything meaningful with this core. And they don't have assets that are good enough that if a disgruntled superstar became available, that you'd be able to put together the best package to go out and get them. So that makes the Bulls of sports purgatory in this town clearly in the worst spot. And I don't expect tomorrow to, to, to shake that up in any meaningful way. So I would rather, like Darnell Mayberry said, the beat writer for The Athletic who was just on, said, I would, I said, is there an argument to buy? He said, well, there's an argument to buy or sell, but you can't stand Pat. I disagree. I'd almost rather them stand Pat. <laughs> because if you buy... And I mean, buying, I will define that just right now, just so I can get it on the record ahead of tomorrow, because we'll be on it too, so we'll be purely reacting to the trade deadline tomorrow. When I say buy, I mean give up a future asset for a short-term piece. Give up an unprotected first. Give up the Portland pick. Give up draft capital that you have. 
for a veteran and in their prime player. If they trade Kobe White for a big who is in a similar contractual situation to Kobe White, then that's not really buying. That's rearranging deck chairs. But if they come out and trade, I mean, I would be floored, but trade Patrick Williams, trade a first-round pick, trade uh, a piece that you think is a part of the future for a win-now piece, and then Arturis comes out and says, I believe in this core, I believe in continuity, I believe we can still make a run in the playoffs and achieve our stated preseason goal of winning a playoff series, that will drive me insane because that is throwing good money after bad. That is putting yourself more into the middle and extending your stay in purgatory. I'd rather you pick a lane. Like I'd, ra- I'd rather blow it up early than go down with the ship, but it's by all the reporting suggests that that is not what's going to happen. But it's a, it's a crazy thing, and it shows how quick it can happen because everybody was so excited for Eversley and Karnishevis and the Vooch trade and the Lonzo signing and the DeMar signing. It's like, oh, my God, like they're good. And here we are a year and a half later, and it's like that they're in the worst spot of any of the teams that we care about in this town. That is a uh, that is a crazy, crazy fall from grace, and it puts at least for me, at least for this Bulls fan, a a little bit of like sports anxiety around tomorrow. Like just don't just don't make it worse. Just please don't make it worse. I don't really have any expectation that you could make it better because I think it's an unsolvable problem, but please don't make it worse. And so like when uh, Drummond had that awesome game two nights ago, I was like, ooh, can they trade him for something? Like, can, they, can they fool someone into taking him off their hands to bring in some sort of future second-round pick or something? Just like a little bit of an extra asset for the next time the Bulls actually have a shot uh, at being good, which, by the way, might be as soon as next opening day and next year, you know, first game of the season. It's in play. Patrick Williams takes a leap. Lonzo comes back. Zach is good. They put Vooch's money into a piece that's more complimentary. It's in play that they could be a good team next year. Not a great team. That's off the board. But a good team, that's in play. It's just tomorrow there's like a small amount of dread, sports dread for me around how they're going to handle that deadline. Uh, we're going to talk to my buddy Mark Carmen in 40 minutes. He was asking the best questions of Matt Nagy, and he is going to uh, fly the flag for Michael Jordan in spite of LeBron James's accomplishments. That is in 40 minutes. But a hell of a public argument is being made by someone who many call the most powerful person in sports. It's next on The Score. Here's my statement, because I'm asked that a lot. I think the officials themselves are better. I think the officiating's worse. Yeah, that was Mike Pereira, former head of NFL officiating, rules analyst for Fox, with our show two days after uh, Championship Sunday. And Championship Sunday, a rough day uh, for the officials. There was the replayed down that people didn't really understand. There was the controversial call with Joe Burrow being called for the intentional grounding that Dean Blandino came out and said was the wrong call. It was a 
it was a rough day. And I want to get to what Roger Goodell said at his State of the Union press conference here. Uh, and then I've got a few thoughts on how we judge and discuss officiating. But this is the commissioner of the NFL from earlier today. Roger, Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports. Uh, there was a consequential third down that was replayed in the AFC championship game. And it's been reported that that was due to intervention from the league office. Uh, there have been various points during the course of the season where critical voices have raised issues with officiating Mike Vrabel uh, during what was essentially a league-wide email in October. Tony Dungy, most recently Aaron Rodgers, has questioned a talent drain of officials heading to network TV. Are these voices resonating with you, and do you see this as something that needs to be addressed going into this offseason, how the league is handling the talent and uh, the process of officials? The talent, what do you mean? Uh, there have been multiple officials that have left the league to go to network television jobs. This was something that was most recently raised by Aaron Rodgers, individuals with experience. He has questioned, is the NFL paying officials enough to stay in the league? And also there have been questions raised about just the general training and overall level of officiating in the league. Well, I would disagree with uh, several of the points you're making in there. So, yes, we listen to all the voices. Let's just start with that point. But we like to go to the facts, ultimately. So just to take your point, are we losing people from the field to the, uh, the booth? Um, there are some that never even officiated on the NFL field. And so we didn't lose anyone. May have lost them from our office, but we didn't lose them from officiating on the field. Others are taking on that responsibility at the end of their careers. So I do not think that's a factor at all, zero. Uh, I think for us, when you look at officiating, I don't think it's ever been better in the league. There are over 42,000 plays in a season. Multiple infractions could occur on any play. Take that out and extrapolate that. That's hundreds if not millions of, of, of potential fouls. And our officials do an extraordinary job of getting those. Are there mistakes in the context of that? Yes, they are not perfect and officiating never will. But we've also had, obviously, replay and other aspects that help us address those issues to make sure they're not uh, something that uh, we can't correct on the field. Communications between our office, that is not the case the, in the championship game. That, that was stopped appropriately because the clock was running by an official on the field. That happens frequently in our game. That's not an unusual thing to have that happen. So again, we want to go back and look at the facts. We may not disagree, we may not agree with every TV announcer or every officiating expert, but we think our officials are doing a great job. But we're always going to look through our competition committee and everything else we have how we improve our officiating, but it will never be perfect. In addition, I think we all have to realize through the quality of what we see on our broadcasts, you've never been able to see the kinds of things that you can see today. And you see it in super slow-mo. You see it where you can actually stop it. Sometimes that distorts a call potentially, but the reality is our officials are held to an incredibly high standard, and I think they meet it. Will we try to get better? You betcha. Mm. All right, so he is a politician, right? He, he had the stats on the number of plays. He defends his product, and I think he makes some salient points. I thought that the reaction to the replay down was 
over overly dramatic and sensationalistic. It was explained poorly, and it doesn't often happen. And it happening on a third down in the AFC Championship game was a wild occurrence. But they did show that the ref was running in, whistling it, and they did show that the clock was running. It just was very, very confusing on the broadcast. So I agree with what he's saying there. What I think... Charles Robinson left out of the question and he like alluded to it when he talked about the reporting of outside voices being involved in that call in the championship game. He's talking about that referee assist thing that we still just don't know. That there is a lack of transparency with when is the official on the field making a call And when is a dude who's not on the field buzzing into his ear to make a call for him? And it's fine when they get it right, but it's not fine when it confuses the paying customer or if it impacts the challenges of the coaches on the field. Because there wasn't the referee assist in the Devontae Smith catch-non-catch to start the NFC Championship game, which I feel like if referee assist exists, it should be a bigger deal that he clearly didn't catch it. Shanahan doesn't throw a challenge flag, but the refs don't come in and get it right when there's a camera angle that would clearly show that that ball was on the ground. And so I, I think that what Charles Robinson is saying is correct, that there is more scrutiny and complaining about officiating. And I think it's... Also probably correct that what Roger Goodell is saying is that officiating has never been better in terms of the training and the scouting of like the quality of the athlete and the rules and all that stuff of the officials. But I would say it's undeniable that the technology has made this way too gray of an area on this stuff. And I used to be a staunch replay makes everything better because it would right egregious wrongs that otherwise would have just stayed. I still feel that way if you said replay yes or replay no, I would say replay yes. But it's so much closer than most people want to admit it because I think referees officiate to the review and I think that they are now relying on technology, whether it's like, well, I'll rule it on the field in the way that allows me to go to the replay monitor so then it doesn't matter if I get it wrong. Well, once you start doing that, there's a slippery slope to it, and the refs have basically no accountability after the game. Maybe they talk to one pool reporter. Their grade is not made public, and they got someone in their ear that sometimes is making calls for them, and other times they're relying on Kyle Shanahan to make calls for them. Like that's, that's not a system of continuity. And so Roger Goodell defending his product is what he's literally paid tens of millions of dollars to do. And he says, we're always going to work to get it better. I would be interested in focusing on, is there a way to use the technology? Because it would be insane to go back to no replay because then NBC and CBS and Fox are all going to be showing us the replays and we all have HD TVs, and we're all going to just be like, up, oh, ball hit the ground, up, oh, pass interference, up, oh, holding, and we're just going to 
we're going to be more equipped to officiate the game than Carl Sheffers is going to be able to. And Chiefs fans would tell you that we're already more qualified uh, than the guy who got assigned to the Super Bowl. But you can't go back to no replay and no technology. But I think figuring out a way to make the technology better or streamline it is such an obvious move. Like To me, and you guys know that this is like a passion project of mine or a crusade or whatever. Why can't the refs be live on the broadcast? Less people have died during your crusade of the refs. That's true. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's not, it's not a ref crusade. It is a, t- it is a broadcast transparent. Anyone who is not giving away propriety, uh, proprietary, like uh, strategic information, that information should be able to be mic'd up. Like, I get why you want, don't want the play call from the offensive coordinator to the quarterback live on your television broadcast. But when the referees are talking to each other on the field about a call, if the director at Fox wants to go down to them and listen in, that should be able to happen. If the replay official in the booth, the sky judge or whatever, replay assist, whatever they're calling it, is in, uh, what's his name's headset? The referee's headset? We should be able to hear it. Everybody shut up. If you just allowed that, there would be a degree of transparency and accountability that would blow people's minds. It would make fans smarter. It would make the game better. And we'd be able to see how the sausage is made a little bit on some of these calls. And I just think that that is an obvious move that we'll get to eventually, but I would still say more than like five to ten years. Um, But it's going to happen. And I think it's going to be a breakthrough for officiating and the presentation of sports. We'll never see full-time refs, right? They make too much money in their private practices, and the Wait, NFL will never top those dollar amounts. I, I mean, clearly, even though the NFL has enough money to do it. But yeah. That's obvious, but there's never going to be a number where NFL says, yeah, we're okay paying that. No question. <laughs> yeah, that that solution I don't think is coming either. But I love Goodell being like, yeah, I, I, it's never been better. You have a lot of consumers who very much disagree with you, so I would figure out a way to convince them uh, of your side of the argument. You can get some questions in. For one last thing, my buddy Mark Carmen from the Super Bowl in 30 minutes. But coming up, what record would you stick around for if you didn't care about last night? And uh, some big voices weigh in on the GOAT debate. Next on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now, with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app, 
baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.